This presentation is from Design Leadership 2020. Our first presenter today joins us from uh, Foolproof. Uh, Zoe is a uh, also, and she's a, um, they're a senior UX designer at Foolproof. They're also an instructor at General Assembly. Um, Zoe will be talking today about um, From Strategy to Purpose, and um, that's the title of her talk. Um, Zoe, very pleased to have you here with us today, um, and I'll hand over to you. Thank you very much. Thank you, Steve. Um, very happy to be here. Um, so, uh, can you confirm, Steve, that you can see my yes. screen? Yes, I Great. can. Amazing. So, let me open the chat because I'll need that. Um, okay, so hello, everyone, and thank you, Steve, for this intro. Um, and thanks, UX Australia, for being so responsive in these uh, trying times. It has been a pleasure to organize this with you. So, hello again. So yeah, as, as Steve said, uh, my name is Zoe. I'm a senior UX designer at Foolproof and a lead instructor at GI. Uh, and today I wanna talk about change. And it's quite topical. So before we start, um, I'd love for you to quickly answer in chat, um, how did your company cope with COVID-19? Um, did it not cope really well? Uh, was it rough, but you think they handled it okay? Or actually they did quite good? Um, so let me know in chat and we'll go back to this. Um, I'm asking you because um, it is linked to change. And I wanna talk about change because it's happening all around us. And even if it's uncomfortable and painful, it's inevitable. Today, humanity is facing greater challenges than ever at a global scale and organizations are slowly taking the measure of the necessary shift. If our planet's decay and the mass extensions uh, may not be concrete enough for some people, no one can ignore the impact of the pandemic we're currently facing. A lot of companies had to operate dramatic shift in their business in order to adapt. UX Australia, for example, <laughs> had to move the entire uh, conference online. I wanna show you that there's a way to build in this capacity to adapt in your organization from the beginning. Um, okay, so let's look at what you're saying. Well, that's good. A lot of you actually did quite good. And which is reassuring because we're all here to talk about leadership and how to be better leaders. So that means that you are an organization um, that encourage that and encourage uh, the ability to react and the ability to adapt. So let's see how we can um, impact that change further. So the talk is called From Strategy to Purpose Together. And let me define what I mean by these terms. 
when I say strategy, I'm talking about these plans organization do, you know, quarterly targets, five-year plan, commissions and metrics based on a single point in time. We need to stop thinking like that and accept that this model doesn't fit the ever-changing world we live in. Purpose is about allowing your company to have a loose focus, a strong direction held loosely, the ability to sense and adapt instead to plan and fail to react. And together is about giving back the power to the wider organization, redistribute responsibilities, define accountability to increase value and trust. So today I will introduce two books that have profoundly impacted my way of thinking about leadership and the world we live in. And I will then show you how these concepts are applied at scale by companies um, and we'll then review some very familiar concepts to you all, I'm sure, that we can use to uh, impact our, uh, our organization from tomorrow. Okay, so the first book is called Reinventing Organizations, and it's by Frédéric Laloux. In his book, um, he explained that humanity is at a threshold a new form of organization is emerging. And anthropological research suggests that this is a natural step in a process that began more than 100,000 years ago. And according to this view, there have been at least five distinct organizational paradigm in human history. The first one is called red organization. It's tribal, it maintains power through fear and chaos. Think of street gangs, mafia, mercenary armies. It's impulsive and plays on survival urgency. It's kind of predator-prey management style. The problem is you can't really plan long-term with this one because as soon as the leader shows any sign of weakness, he or she is replaced by a younger one. Um, the second one is called Amber Organization and it's authoritarian. It revolves around security protocol, formal, and hierarchy. It was actually a huge leap for humanity because from this we gained formal hierarchy, self-discipline, and replicable processes. But we lacked the ability to innovate. And if you think in today's term, this hierarchical process um, is visible in large bureaucratic enterprises, many government agencies, and most education and military organizations. But in Ember organizations, thinking and execution are strictly separated, and people at the bottom must be instructed through command, which doesn't really work in uh, today's world. The next one is the orange model, and it emerged with the Industrial Revolution and the French Enlightenment movement. It's still relevant today, very much so. It's task-orientated, profit growth and profit and growth focus. So the goal of the organization is to get ahead and succeed in socially acceptable ways. The best, um, we need to be the best and best play uh, the cards we are dealt. This is arguably 
the predominant perspective of most leaders in business and politics today and widely applied in on multinationals. With this, we gained innovation, accountability and meritocracy. But this is the model that created most of the global challenges we're facing today. It encouraged short-term thinking, corporate greed, overconsumption, and the reckless exploitation of the planet's resource and ecosystem. So today we also have green organizations and it came with the age of information. From this are born agile, lean and design thinking. This model is reinvesting on organizational culture, values, coaching, mentoring and teamwork. It's based on a motivational management style. With this evolution, we gain value-driven culture, empowerment, and stakeholder model where everyone's voice should be heard and respected. <coughs> Which sounds good, but actually in practice, things slow down. Unfortunately, empowerment and egalitarian management are hard to sustain, as I'm sure you know. Efforts to make everyone equal often lead to hidden power struggle dominant actors who corrupt the system and organizational gridlock. So the reality of today's successful organizations are that they're striking a balance between green and orange. The next paradigm, the one we're trying to head towards, it's the teal organization. It's self-organizing and adaptive. Think of a living organism. And these organizations listen and adapt to the world instead of trying to plan what they think is going to happen in the next five years, and then trying to make the real world events fit their plan. To give you a concrete example, how many of you started a project that was fundamentally the wrong thing to do at the time, but had to carry on because that was planned nine months ago and the budget had been allocated. That's what we're trying to fight. We thrive towards self-management, wholeness, and evolutionary purpose. But let me explain what I mean by this. So self-management is a system based on peer relationship. We set up structures and, and practices where people have high autonomy in their domain, and they're accountable for coordinating with others. Control and self-correction is embedded in the system and no longer requires a leader at the top of everything at all time. Wholeness is about showing your full self, showing up as your full self at work. Um, Till organization invite people to um, be themselves because they recognize that this actually brings an added value to the company. It creates an environment where people feel free to fully express themselves and it brings unprecedented level of energy, passion and creativity at work. And then evolutionary purpose um, is, means that teal organization base their strategy on what they sense of the world, what they think the world is asking from them. They sense and respond to replace the machinery of plans, budget, targets, and incentive. And paradoxically, as we'll see later, by focusing less on the bottom line 
and shareholder value, they generate financial results that outpace those of competitors. So each model enables the next one. Um, remember that I'm not saying that any development is better than the other. The question is more whether that level of development is a good fit for the task at hand. Which model do we need for the task at hand? And the challenges we're facing today are more and more complex and ever-changing. So we need an organization type that can adapt to today's issue. So let me know in the chat, what type of model is your organization? Is it predominantly red, uh, amber, orange, green, or are you one of the lucky ones and you think you have a teal organization? Yeah. Green, orange, for now, orange, orange. Um, so I'm, I think that most of you, <laughs> orange masquerading as teal, yeah, we have some of those. Um, I, most of you are gonna think it's orange and green because the reality is we have, um, that, that's what we have today. We have a culture and we're pushing towards green, but in order to get shit done, we kind of use the orange model. Um, but my personal opinion is there's another way and there's a more efficient way. It's just a bit harder to put in place. Um, it will be interesting to talk later to some of you to say that they still have an amber model and see how this is working or not. Okay, the second book that I want to talk about is The Infinite Game by Simon Sinek. Um, he describes the problems we're facing today in his new book with the concept of finite versus infinite. So a finite game has a finish line. An infinite game has no finish line. Think of football, a game of football. It's finite because it has rules that we all know, a set time and a defined number of players. We know what the goal is and how to win. Now, things are things like marriage, life, within business as the global sense of business. These are infinite game. Not one person has a definite set of universal rules for these things. They are too broad and ever-changing. The finish line keeps on moving. Finite mentality is about beating competition, being number one at all costs now. It's short-term mindset. And let's stop and think. Isn't the real objective to outlast your competition? If we fail to recognize that we are indeed all in an infinite game, we tend to burn our energy and resources to reach an ever-moving finish line. And in the process, we damage trust, we damage resources, collaboration, and we hurt innovation the organization will eventually struggle and decline. Organizations need to recognize that winning at all costs and growth for growth does not get you to your objective. It does not mean that finite is bad and infinite is good, but today we need to recognize that we live in an infinite game filled with finite components that serve the bigger purpose. To give you an example, um, a flight attendant. You want them to 
to be focusing on the finite game, which is getting you safely to destination. But some part of their mind needs to be focusing on the infinite game, which is making you a recurring loyal customer. So see, it makes business sense. Anyway, there's five rules to play the infinite game. A just cause, courageous leadership, trusting teams, a worthy rival, and a flexible playbook. So let's look at those. A just cause. Why do you exist as an organization? Not why your industry exists, but why do you exist as an organization? What is the uh, just cause that makes your people stay in your company, even if they have a better offer somewhere else? A vision of the future that does not yet exist, but you will commit everything that you have to strive towards it. What do you stand for? What are your values? And this is like the evolutionary purpose that Frédéric Laloux is talking about in the Teal organization. Second, courageous leadership. We need leaders that are willing to sacrifice the short term in order to advance further in the long term. Courage is saying no to the money because it's coming from a dirty source. Uh, leadership that desperately believed in the cause. Another thing um, that Simon Sinek talks about is someone needs to be responsible for that cause or not responsible for the whole outcome, but for spearing the sheep. And he talks about the concept of a CVO. If you think about it, what are the responsibilities of a CEO? We know that CFO is finance, CTO is technology. What does executive mean? What about chief vision officer? The guardian of this vision, the person responsible to spear the ship, to advance the purpose. But another concept that we need to remember is to not confuse rank and leadership. Rank gives you authority, but it does not mean leadership. Leadership can come at any level of the business. Trusting teams. So you need to foster an environment in which people feel safe to raise their hand and say, I made a mistake. I don't feel qualified or I need help. And they know they will not get in trouble for saying this. If you don't have this, people will fake and things eventually will break. People will fear making the right decision, doing the right thing. If leaders do not entrust their people to use their own judgment, the end customer will suffer uh, from it and leadership will be responsible. If employees feel safe, all their energy is put towards the just cause. I really wanna hammer this point because for me, it's key. If you ask any CEO, they will tell you that their employees are on their priorities. But a lot of the time is shareholder first, customer second, and employee third. When it should be employee first, customer second, and shareholder third. Because when you take care of your employees, your employees will take care of the customer and your customer will take care of your shareholders. How can we create an environment where people can work at their best versus how can we get the most out of our people? And as UX practitioners, 
um, I'm sure that you've witnessed the shift in the type of work we do. There are more and more employee experience piece of work or change management piece of work. And it's our duty to bring this mindset to our clients. The fourth one, a worthy rival. A rival, not a competitor. The difference is a rival reveals your weaknesses in order to help you improve. Identify the people that are the best at something in your company or in your industry and aspire to be around them. It's not about beating them, but if somebody else is better than you at something, that means that you need to work harder at it. The goal is not to be number one this year. The goal is to create an organization that will outlast all the other players. This is about looking long-term. Money is not the goal. It should never be the goal, but the fuel to do things. We don't own cars to buy fuel. We own cars to go somewhere. And then the fifth one is flexible playbook, which is typically the sense and adapt of uh, Frédéric Lally. It's a capacity for existential flexibility. It's a capacity to make profound strategic shifts in order to better advance your just cause. And failure to do so might actually result in the demise of your organization. He talks about a few pertinent examples in this book, but I wanna talk about one. Um, what if I told you that when Netflix started their subscription model, Blockbuster CEO actually went to the board uh, to tell them that this was where the industry was going and they should follow. However, the board refused to go into subscription model because they made most of their profit over late fees. So for anyone that doesn't know Blockbuster, they were the leaders, especially in North America, for video rentals. They were so attached to existing business model and status quo that they did not see clearly what was happening around them. And well, they ceased to exist in 2010. Outlast your competition by fostering a flexible playbook. So think, like, think about this. The car industry did not invent the Tesla. The publishing industry did not invent Amazon. And the movie industry did not invent Netflix. They're so preoccupied with protecting what they have and the current business model that they fail to see the necessity to adapt. It is difficult to play the infinite game. Our economy is not geared towards it. And when you get it right, but when you get it right, you have the ability to disrupt because of innovation, because of trust and collaboration. And suddenly your ability to adapt to change is suddenly unlocked. Infinite leadership can adapt because they have an evolutionary purpose. So let me know, what game is your organization playing? Let me know in chat. Do you think they're more finite mentality or infinite? Or are they trying to be infinite? Which is also good. Finite. Okay, so we have one infinite, that's good. And trying to be infinite, that's also good. So something we need to, we need to understand is the journey counts. It's okay if you're at least trying 
and I'll, I'll talk more about this in a minute. But can you see the similarities between the two books? And actually in our industry, in the tech industry or design industry, however you want to refer to it, we talk a lot about this and it has materialized in a key concept. Digital transformation. And before you roll your eyes, bear with me. I like this definition because because of the second part of the definition. I don't really care about the first one that is telling me that technology will profoundly change how we operate. The second part is the important one. It also, so digital transformation, it's also a cultural change that requires organizations to continually challenge the status quo, experiment, and get comfortable with failure. And that sums up this talk basically. So at Foolproof, we call digital transformation often uh, human transformation because the upcoming most exciting breakthrough will not come from technology, but from us claiming back the concept of humanity thanks to technology. To create profound change, we need to re-engineer our companies. Whichever type of company you are now, you need to plot your journey to create the type of company you think you should be in the world of today. If you had the opportunity to start fresh, what would you do? How can you involve also the entire company in this transformation? In order to realize a real transformation, it shouldn't be just a strategy. It should become a real purpose. And as a leader, you also need to let go and recognize that you cannot do it alone. Listen and create opportunities inside the organization for intrinsically motivated people to push the company purpose forward. We need to craft ways in our organizations to facilitate self-management and job crafting. By allowing people to craft their own job and adapt their own job and evolve let them contribute to the organization mission as much as their whole self. We have so many success stories at Foolproof of people converting to one job or another, switching department through internal training and shadowing programs because they felt they could contribute better if they, if they um, changed their job, if they crafted job a bit differently. And today, this is more pertinent than ever. So many jobs had to be rethought because of this pandemic. An obvious um, example is waiters and waitresses. They're now in charge of packing takeaway for deliveries. Their job has changed. Their responsibilities have changed. So many jobs will continue to change because of technology. And how can we help people to transfer their skills and continue to contribute. And in order to create the environment in which everyone contributes to the organization uh, purpose, you need trust in the business in order to allow for self-management. The whole company needs to be aware of the constraints we are playing with. And most important, everyone needs to be aware of the evolutionary purpose of the organization. In other words, the vision. 
And I want to show you some awesome companies that had a stab at this. The first one is Birdstore. So in the 90s, the Dutch government was concerned um, about the increasing level of spending and inefficiency in the health system. We can all relate to that. Joe de Bloch, uh, the gentleman in the picture, quit his nursing job out of frustration and with um, three other former nurses, he set up a social enterprise called Burstort, which in Dutch means neighborhood care. And this aimed to place humanity over bureaucracy. He's now the executive officer of Burstort Netherlands. Their success consists in three components. Self-governing teams of 10 to 12 nurses providing both medical and supportive home care services. And this is one of the key principles. Why should bureaucracy decide if an initiative is worth trying or not? Instead, when a team of nurses has an idea, have an idea, they, they are encouraged to try it in their sector and they document it in order to share the experience and the replicable framework with the wider organization. If it's a good idea, it will spread organically. And if it spreads enough, the head office will help to institutionalize it. This can only be done at scale if you have an IT system relieving the nurses of administrative tasks and allowing the team to self-monitor their performance and communicate effectively. And they also have regional coaches promoting best practice and offering advice as needed, but without their own performance goal. So they took the coaching aspect of a manager and kept it, but let the nurses actually managing their day-to-day. Their -day. The fully self-managed home care organization in the Netherlands has grown to 14,000 employees in on 10 years time. And client satisfaction is the highest in their segment and employee satisfaction is through the roof. Orbia is another example. They're a chemical company that went through what their CEO calls a human-centered business transformation, where they shift their purposive vision to reflect the biggest global challenge we're facing today. And they have done something I really uh, find smart with their logo, which they call an impact mark. This logo is acting as a living organism, shifting as their company is shifting. Each year, they add a line to illustrate their progress and their purpose. This is assuring that not only the entire company, but also anyone coming in contact with them has these challenges at the forefront of their mind. It means that people are all are ready to create or seize the opportunity to innovate when it presents itself. A famous company uh, to pick long-term over short-term is Patagonia. The mission statement is build the best product, cause no unnecessary harm, use business to inspire and implement solution to the environmental crisis. They're a, an example of radical sustainability choice. And they are explicitly against a throwaway society and try to counter it with projects such as Worn and Wear 
during which team travels across Europe in a minivan um, for four or five weeks to offer free clothing repair to people in the streets. This type of initiative clashes with the growth at all cost model of multinationals and retail companies. They clearly embody the sense of evolutionary purpose and sustainable growth. They take in their equation, the number one resource we tend to all forget our planet. And they are doing everything they can to outlast the competition and create value and trust, even if it means reducing short-term gains. Additionally, they prone wholeness by allowing uh, employees to come as their whole self and even with their families to work. For example, at Patagonia's headquarters in California, the company has a child development center for their preschoolers. Children's laughter, chatter, uh, kids visiting their parents at the desk, or even sometimes um, even mothers nursing her child in a meeting is things that you can see often in the headquarter. I really wanted to share this diagram with you um, because for me, it talks about inten intentional hiring. We need to be more intentional in the way we hire people and we need to hire for an infinite mindset. Like I said, leaders don't have to do it alone, but we need to hire the right people to help us. So Simon Sinek did some work with the Navy SEAL and asked them how do they recruit and who makes the team? And here's what he discovered. They drew this graphic for him. So you have performance on the y-axis and trust on the x-axis. And they were saying that if you look at the, the, top, the top left is a high performer, low trust person. And top right is a high performer, high trust. They said that they would always prefer even a medium performer, high trust, or potentially a low performer, high trust, to the high performer, low trust. Because the top left corner, we all know that person. In, in, um, in any organization, that person is, the, is referred as the asshole, so excuse my French, of the, of the company, is the person that we all know is toxic, but we have no faith in that person being let go because they bring money to the organization. What we are saying is actually their toxicity is more detrimental than the, the revenue they bring. But the problem we have is all the metrics we use um, today are geared to measure that top left corner. A parallel can be made with uh, Adam's grand theory of the humble narcissist leader. Define those um, as leaders that have the conviction to be special and they believe in their ability to contribute, but they have humility. And they often end up being the glue of the team as they help everyone else to be better. And the problem, the fundamental problem we have today is we have no way to measure their growth, their contribution. We have a lot of metrics for revenue, but we don't have a lot of metrics for trust. 
So you might have realized that none of these companies do it all. None of them are full teal organizations or play fully by the five rules of the infinite game, but they are trying and experimenting and the ability to try is the first decisive step towards change. This leads me nicely to my personal opinion, which is we can only achieve all of these goals and innovation through fostering a culture of experimentation. We need to encourage ownership and creativity to enable a shared vision, give autonomy in order to allow for this intrinsic motivation to happen, risk-taking to happen. This will help with connection and collaboration. And all of this in the context of empathy, expensive thinking, and experimentation. So listen to the science. All the research is occurring itself. It's all happening. We need to do it. And you already know the formula. You already know um, elements that you can apply tomorrow in order to change that culture. Design thinking, growth mindset, and self-awareness are things that we use in our everyday practice and things that we can use to help our organizations to go to that path of change. Design thinking mindset allows us to be aware of the context we work in, the constraints we work with, what is feasible today, what has been done before, who is the change going to happen? Um, when is the change going to happen? Who is it going to affect? Get empathy for them. Understand why people might be afraid of it. Learn from failure. What has been done before and what has it not worked? Embrace ambiguity because the reality is we do not know where the experiment is going to end up, but that's okay. Make it, test it, forget about asking permission. Try something so small and so low res at first that you don't need permission. You just wanna test something, get feedback, get buy-in. And then iterate. And as you iterate from your minimum effort, high impact, you'll then scale it. And as you go, you'll get more and more buy-in. And probably the most important is optimism, which is hard. Um, to have, especially in, in, in periods like this, but to create change, you need to be optimistic about the ability to come up with new solutions. Optimism is what driving you forward in the challenge is the art of possibility. Growth mindset is extremely important. We need to combat the fixed mindset mentality that is telling us that we need to play with the cards we are dealt. The reality is we are not just playing with the resources we have today, but the ones we will have tomorrow. Um, know that it's about feasibility. What is not feasible today can be feasible tomorrow as a result of your action. And know your worth, know where, where you need help, know where you have been, know where you're heading. In order to create change as a group, we need to create change as an individual, we need self-awareness. 
when I teach my course at GI, I ask students to fill a self-awareness survey when I um, ask them questions like, how do you want to feel in six months, one year, 10 years? And then most of them have spent a lot of money and are very stressed by a transitional course. So they tell me, well, in six months, I want to feel stable. So then we work retroactively. Okay, what can we do? in order for you to feel stable in six months. By answering these questions, you're actually creating your transformation narrative, a plan of action. You are defining your purpose. A purpose is like an how might we. It should be loose enough to allow for creativity, but specific enough to enable accountability in your creativity. Now, before I wrap up, wrap up a question i get often when i talk about this is how can we uh, make sure that your ideas and your experiment travel through the business and the law of diffusion and innovation it's um is a very useful tool even inside your own company to create demand and enthusiasm when you introduce a product or an idea to a market you will always have the innovators that are likely to be you or like-minded people. Then you would have early adopters. These are the people that are willing to queue 24 hours in front of the Apple store for the latest iPhone. In your company, um, they're the people that stay, uh, that stay in your company because they believe in the cause, even if they have a better, um, a better offer somewhere else. You need to have enough of those uh, early adopters to bridge the chasm towards the early majority. Because once you reach those, the early majority, you're on a good path. The late majority will then follow because they'll be inspired by the early majority. And the laggards, well, these guys only do anything because they don't have a choice anymore. You're the innovator. You're in your team. Look for ambassadors strategically around the business. Um, and they'll be your early adopters. And when you have enough ambassadors to inspire the rest of the business, you'll get to that tipping point organically. And you'll be able to bridge the chasm and reach your early majority and then create demand. All you need to quick start this process is to create a culture of trust and experimentation where your people will feel that they can try. And all you need to create change is people willing to try. This is from a McKinsey paper published in last April, in this April. And basically, we'll get through this pandemic, but more than ever, we need to focus. This pandemic gives the opportunity to rethink the status quo. So let's embrace it. When we get to that step four of reimagination, let's do it right. I was only able to give you an introduction into these concepts and there are so many more case studies to get inspired from. If you're interested, here are some resources where you, I recommend to start, bridge them and start these concepts um, and share these concepts with your organization. I'm, I'm not a head of, I'm not a founder, I'm not a director, but that's the point. You do not need to be at that level or you do not need to wait for that level's permission or the level of you permission to create change. 
change, it's like an election or this pandemic, it will happen without you, so you might as well have an impact on the by showing up. So go on and do it. Um, thank you for listening and good luck in your change transformation. Um, we have a, a couple of questions, if I can just uh, throw one or two at you. Uh, sure. Kellyanne asks um, uh, that many of us would agree that Teal, uh, Teal organisation is the way to go um, and it's both important and challenging. Uh, they wonder what are the key barriers we need to address and how do we address them in toppling old power? So for me, the key barriers is mindset because what we are facing today is people thinking that people are thinking that we can't do it. So if we carry on with this idea, no, it's too hard, we can't do it, we'll end up like Blockbuster. We need, we need to make sure that we understand that it's not a matter, I think this pandemic, was this pandemic is showing us, like it's not a matter of can we or can we not, we need to. Um, so once we have changed that mindset, it's about creating, and it doesn't happen overnight, and it's hard, but it's find doing a bit of an audit of the culture and see how can we enhance trust and where. Where do we have a lack of trust? Because trust is what gives people, when you feel trusted, you are more enthusiastic about everything about your work. And we even see this in children. When, when you trust your children, when you help your children to understand that they're uh, being empowered by trust and you trust them, they will make better decisions. And there's loads of, there's loads of uh, research on this. And I think that's the number one thing is hire for trust and, and try to foster trust within the business and at every level. So, uh, Carol actually asks a, a question, how do, how do you hire for trust? So this is really hard because as we all know, it's difficult to know exactly if you can trust someone in a couple of hours of interviewing. Um, I think we tend, somewhere along the line, we, we stop hiring with our guts. Um, and we need, we need to break that back. Um, trust is about, it's, it's a human connection. And we need to feel that human connection. We need to allow the fact that we will fail, but we also need to have this mindset of trust ourselves. So trust is not about finding like-minded people, is having that growth mindset, which will allow us to trust even people that think differently than us. And we can enable everyone to feel like this by having processes within the company that allow for true discussion. That's wonderful, thank you. 